We've been doing this series called Beyond, and we've been thinking beyond our own resources, our own uh, capacity, our own strength, our own wisdom, and inviting God to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think or imagine. And then to today, we want to just chat to you about your thinking and then how we act as a result of our thinking. And, and I want to encourage you to go on this journey with me. I was chatting to my friend Angus Stevenson. He's a chiropractor. And I mentioned that I find him a bit manipulative personally. But he, he is... Um, he is uh, I said to him that we were preaching about our thinking. And he says, oh, so you're thinking about your thinking. You're like, yeah, that's, that's right. We are thinking about our thinking. And he said, oh, that's metacognition. I went, thanks, Angus. That's really helpful. <laughs> so we are thinking today about our thinking. You know, there was this ship out at sea and, and they were, um, you know, in distress. They, they were basically uh, in a crisis and uh, they sent this mayday call out to any ships nearby saying, we are sinking, we are sinking. And there was this German radio operator and he got on the, on the radio and he said, you are sinking? He goes, yes, yes, we are sinking, we are sinking. He goes, what are you sinking about? <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about what you are sinking about, okay? Is that all right? Fine. <clears throat> so, um, thanks, musician. So I, I think a lot, actually. I probably overthink sometimes. And I, I was thinking, you know, if a, how many of you are parents? All right, that's good. <clears throat> I'm glad you remembered. Um, I, was, I was thinking if a parent is trying to put their child to sleep and the child is refusing, isn't that something illegal? Because the child would be resisting arrest, right? But, but then I realised... That from a kid's perspective, it's also illegal because when you're trying to force your kid to go to sleep, it's actually kidnapping. So either way, you've got a legal problem. <clears throat> and I think, you know, sometimes we, we, <laughs> we overthink. And I want to refresh your memory on a Bible verse that talks about thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. Let's bring it up. It's actually in the context of hospitality. When, you know, you go to someone's house and they say, come on, have some more, but they don't mean it. What he thinks is what he really is. Another, another version of that basically says, what we think is what we become. So what are you thinking about? What you think about is defining your life, is defining your becoming, is defining your actions, is defining the way you look at the world. Your worldview is extremely important. Jesus talked about that as well because he talked about the way that we speak. You know, we can tell what we think about by what we speak about. Let's think about that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. 
The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. I tell you, every careless word people speak, they'll give an accounting for in the day of judgment. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. The words that come out of our mouth are a reflection of what's in our heart. And that word justified is literally, in the Greek, declared righteous. So it literally means that there is this whole definition of, of, of you know, our words really matter. Our words, you know, really speak about what's in our heart. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, let's examine what's coming out of our mouth because what's coming out of our mouth is a reflection of what's been in our heart and what's in our heart is, tends to be what we've been thinking about. So we have to think about our thinking. How many of you are real sort of thinking people, like you really think a lot? Keep your hand up if you overthink, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. um, How many of you are sort of married or in a family with someone who's like a real overthinker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's going to be conflict about that. I didn't know you thought that. Well, I thought it. I thought that you think too much. <clears throat> anyway, sorry. That's the home, homeward-bound discussion. There's so many mysteries in our world, aren't there? So many things to think about. For example, why is there only one word for thesaurus? Why is there no egg in eggplant? Why is there no ham in a hamburger? How come French fries do not come from France? Why doesn't pineapple contain apples or pines? How come a guinea pig is neither a pig nor does it come from guinea? That makes no sense at all. Why is abbreviation such a long word? That's five syllables, I think. Five. Maybe it's not, I don't know, it's something. See, we can think about things that occupy our mind and distract us, cause us havoc, you know, that just... <laughs> uh, Pastor John Pentecook speaking today at Maitland while I'm here running amok, and he, um, he sent me a text this week and he goes... He goes, this guy goes to a doctor and he says, um, Doctor, I have this real issue. I can't decide if I'm a wigwam or a teepee. What do you think it means? And the doctor says to him, I think you're too tense. <laughs> oh, it's gold. That's they laughed when I said I wanted to be a comedian, but they're not laughing now. Anyway, (coughs) there is a serious point to that joke. Some of you in this room are too tense. Some of you in this room are too intense. And I'm speaking to myself as well. We overthink. We get caught up in things that really aren't that important. And we process it over and over and over again. You know, right now we are facing an epidemic of depression, neuroses, mental health, anxiety, high stress. And it's, you know, we we can't pretend that the church is immune to that. We are not. 
We are, we are dealing with depressive illness all the time. We have to recognize that each one of us is responsible to guard our heart. You know, no one else can guard your heart. Let me say this to you. No one, there's some people in this room, you need to hear this really clearly. No one can make you insecure without your consent and agreement. Let me say it again. No one makes you insecure or inferior without your consent and agreement. See, God gives you this incredible gift of security and identity, but we trade it out for someone else's opinion, someone's words from years ago that, that circle around our brain and we have to learn to take thoughts captive. Last week, Pastor Mark preached an incredible message um, at Gosford and also at Maitland, um, which you can, get, you can download on our app. And he basically talked about how to take captive every thought that is, is going to ruin your relationship with Jesus. We have to learn to do that. We have to take spiritual authority over what goes into our head. Because what goes into our head, if we keep it there long enough, it becomes a stronghold of the way we think. Now you can either, as Pastor Dan said earlier, you can stand firm on, on what God is saying. You can meditate on his word and become strong in that. Or you can cycle back to the, the, the negative thoughts that the enemy wants you to live with. See, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this incredible statement. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's blessed you with everything, every spiritual blessing he could possibly give to you, he's given to you in Christ. And he continues on, he talks about grace all the way through that. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, he starts with a but. But you and I were dead. We were, we were killed off in our transgressions, our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, our faults. And we were, you know, basically cut off from God. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says this amazing thing. He says, he says but God, being rich in mercy through the riches of his kindness, which he lavished on us in Christ, made us, brought us into reconciliation with God the Father. And suddenly when you start to rehearse the power of, of what the Apostle Paul is teaching us, you become a different person because you realise, I have this security in my identity because of who Jesus is. Not because of who I am, but because of who I was designed to be in relationship with God. And then he's going to continue on and he's going to say, each one of us is saved by grace through faith. Through faith. Let me say it again. Each one of us is saved by grace through faith. Another word for faith is trust. You and I are reconciled to God, not on the basis of our own effort, but on the basis of trust in His grace. It's incredible. It's so simple. It's almost hard to believe. But please don't overthink that message. Just think about the goodness and character of God. You, you sang it, but tomorrow morning, you've got to wake up and go, God, even on Monday, you're good, good. Oh, oh, you're good. Even when breakfast is awful and, you know, the kids are annoying. <clears throat> you're still good. See, we are too intense. 
Jesus said it like this, freely you have received, freely give. It's like this incredible, incredible, simple beauty of the gospel. It's simple, but it's profound. It's profound beyond our imagination. So, some things are not worth thinking about. You know, um, <clears throat> these two guys met at a bus stop and they strike up a conversation. One of them was complaining about his family. He goes, look, I'm just thinking about my family and it's just driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. And finally, the other man said, you think you have family problems? Well, listen to my situation. A few years ago, I met a young widow with a grown-up daughter. We got married and I got myself a stepdaughter. But later, my father married my stepdaughter. That made my stepdaughter my stepmother. And my father then became my stepson. Also, my wife became mother-in-law of her own father-in-law. Much later, the daughter of my wife, my stepmother, had a son. The boy was my half-brother because he was my father's son, but he was also the son of my wife's daughter, which made him my wife's grandson. That made me the grandfather of my half-brother. Are you following me so far? Well, that was nothing until my wife and I had a son. Now the half-sister of my son, my stepmother, is also the grandmother. That makes my father the brother-in-law of my child, whose stepsister is my father's wife. I am my stepbrother's brother-in-law. My wife is her own child's aunt. My son is my father's nephew, and I am my own grandfather. <laughs> There's some things not worth thinking about. It's just not worth thinking about. It's like, why am I thinking about this? And, you know, I've just wasted that portion of, your, portion of your life that you will never get back. You're just kind of going, why do we even think about it? Because I want you to think about what you're thinking about. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul has taught us a lot about grace and the covenants of God all the way through the book of Romans. And then in chapter 12, he gets very practical. And he, he says this amazing statement, which I want you to, to focus on, because the way we read it doesn't always represent what the actual text really means. And this is what he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to God, your spiritual service of worship. Now pause there. In the Greek, the way that should read is it's a present continuous tense, which means that it's literally ongoing. It's this ongoing transformation, this ongoing spiritual service, this ongoing presentation of yourself. You know, we, when we first become a Christian... We say yes to Jesus. We invite him into our life. And that's, that's incredibly transformative. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. And then there's this whole transforming process where every day we, we yield ourselves. We yield ourselves to the will of God. We understand his 
is calling to worship. Listen, you might say, well, I can't really sing, so worship's out the door. That's not the worship we're talking about. Worship is a surrender of your soul, your identity. It's a bowing of the knee to a God who is utterly worthy of your worship. He deserves every praise, every worship we can imagine. It's not just verbal. It's not just sung. It's a heart relationship of surrender. See, some people say to me, oh, how come you people, you know, you, you, you worship this God that you made up in your own head and, and you know, I'm a self-made man. You know, if your God's real, tell him to turn up here right now and prove himself to me. And I go, really? Is that what you want? They go, yeah, yeah, let him show himself right here right now and I'll, I'll, I'll sort him out. I say, you don't want to do that. Why not? Well, the Bible says no one can see his face and live. It would be a very awkward conversation and very brief. <laughs> Let me give you another example. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, 18. The Apostle John, now you remember the Apostle John, right? The Apostle John's the guy who leans on Jesus' chest at dinner. <laughs> we're mates. We're like that. Me and, me and Jesus are brothers. Jesus turns up in Revelation chapter 1 and just shows John a fraction of who he really is. What's John's response? He's not leaning on his chest. He's on his face in front of him and he can't move until the angel strengthens him. Why am I telling you that? Because our God is too small. Our view of God is too small. We don't think about who we're really thinking about. We talk about God like we own him. But it's not like that. No, worship is a natural response. God is not in heaven feeling insecure about his identity and needing worship so he can feel better about himself. Worship is the only natural response to an almighty, supreme, infinite, creative, awesome God. You can't be in his presence and not worship one way or the other. What are you thinking about? The Apostle Paul continues when we're talking about our thinking. He says, Therefore, do not be conformed to this world. Don't conform yourself every day. Well, what, what's he talking about? The way the world thinks, the way the world speaks, the way the world criticises. So often um, people are shocked by the honour that the church lives with, this sense of honour, mutual honour and respect. It's the way it should be. You know, um, I was with a great friend of mine who, who was the coordinator of the Lord Mayor's Prayer Breakfast in Newcastle. And for many years as, as church leaders, we would gather and pray with the Lord Mayor or we would invite them to various functions. And over the years, we've established the Lord Mayor's Prayer Breakfast. And it's grown and grown to the point that there was like uh, 450 leaders, civic business and church leaders gathering together. And the Lord Mayor, who is basically 
agnostic, but maybe even an atheist, but she's absolutely in awe. And she actually says, I never get as much support as I do when I walk in to this context. Whereas they, instead of heckling and criticism and party politics, we honour and we celebrate them, no matter what their particular worldview is, we celebrate the fact that they're willing to serve our region, even if we don't agree with their policy. What is that? That's, that's not being conformed to this world. It's, it's being transformed by the renewing of our mind to see things from a different perspective. You see, we need to live in this constant reformation of our mind, this constant renewal, this daily up, uplift of thinking. You and I have to think about our thinking. Musos, you can come back. It doesn't mean anything, but you can come back. <clears throat> Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said this. So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. And you know, we can read that and immediately we default to the negative side, which is, oh, you know, if I'm thinking these terrible thoughts and this self-destructive thing and, and you know, I'm stressed and anxious, you know, it's going to default into these terrible things. But I want to turn it on its head. I want to remind you, so a positive thought and all of a sudden you reap a positive habit. You reap a positive action. You reap a positive character. You reap a positive destiny. That's the intention of God for you. His intention is that you live with this incredible dimension of confidence, this incredible favour. Paul could not convey any more clearly than he does in the, in the book of Philippians this simple truth. In Philippians 4, he says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Just say that word, rejoice. Rejoice. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. But it's based on your thinking. It's based on your thinking. What are you thinking about? I want to give you an example of how your thinking can shape your life. Some years ago, we used to do this thing in church called um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Has anyone ever done anything like that? You, you just like, we would basically do this lottery of, of people going to people's houses for dinner and you would hope that they could cook. I always took food with me just in case. But... Anyway, you, one, night, one night we go, okay, we're going to go over to this family's place for dinner. We've never been there before. And we knock on the door and my mate opens the door. And the first words out of his mouth were, I can't repeat actually. <laughs> this is one of my Christian brethren. And he, he opens the door and he goes, whatever he said. And then he goes, I knew it was going to be you. Well, I felt welcome. 
I came in and sat down with him and my wife. And we, we had one of the most awkward dinners I've ever had in my life. And a year before, it turned out that I had asked him to share communion in a service. And he was brilliant. He was really, he was amazing. And I made a comment after he shared communion that was intended to be a joke, but he thought I was serious. And my comment was, oh, right, yeah, you really, you really shouldn't share communion, should you? Like, everybody, everybody in the whole church knew I was commending him, except him. So for a year, his thought process was that I hated him and publicly wanted to humiliate him. And furthermore, that I, that I, I was rubbishing him. So he, he literally had pulled back from everything. And so in that moment, I just literally said to him, mate, you need to forgive me. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say it like that. And I apologise for the way I communicated. And, and, but, you know, I want to commend you. And I also want to tell you that you are called to do this stuff. Well, not long after that, I mean, from that moment on, we became really great friends. And he, now I could go to his house and he wouldn't swear when he opens the door. And, but the thing is, what he had thought about nonstop for a year was based completely on a lie. And I'm just wondering why is there this distance between us? Can I tell you something? It's often like that with God. We sometimes think God is thinking all sorts of things about us that He's not thinking at all. Psalm 139 says that His thoughts about you are beyond counting. And they're all good. They're all good. Why? Because He's incapable of anything but good. He can't look at you with hatred. He can't look at you with despite. He can't discard you. He could not place a higher value on you than His Son. So why do we think such stupid thoughts sometimes? Why do we think God... I'm beyond your reach. The Apostle Paul said, think on these things. Whatever is pure, whatever is of good repute, whatever is honourable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about things that are excellent and His peace will guard your hearts and minds. I'm going to ask Pastor Dan to come up and close the service. But I want you to let the peace of God come and restore your thinking, that you would think the thoughts that God thinks about you and stop thinking some of the things that have lied to you and cut you off from the confidence that you're meant to live in, in Jesus' name. Amen.